Welcome to the Cocktail Conversations. I'm Michelle Mitchell. We've got something a little different and kind of weird for you this time. Evolutionary anthropology, straight from the state of dinosaur bones and Butch Cassidy. There's a foundation for everything. And if we're going to understand how to deal with the anger industrial complex and in turn the value gap, we need to know how and why things start. Dr. Kristen Hawks of the University of Utah developed an evolutionary theory that is going to turn what you think you know on its head. And at the end of this, you're going to feel something a little odd and maybe familiar. Hope. So settle back. We are with a westerny whiskey cocktail inspired by Dr. Hawks, which we're calling the Dr. Hawks. And I wanted to start right away with what the hell is the evolutionary theory of grandmothering? Okay, well, the hypothesis is the thing that made us the kind of animal we are is the foraging productivity of older females. Anybody who's listening is listening to a postmenopausal woman. And yet, this apparent riddle, how in the world could selection favor that? I have no idea. <laughs> Why are we here? Why are we here? <laughs> this is the foundation. The textbook story about what happened is the hunting hypothesis. Some very influential people, especially in the middle of the 20th century, made these very persuasive points that if you look at humans compared to other African primates, men are hunting and Women and kids are being provisioned by hunters. And that's why we have the, quote, sexual division of labor and we get nuclear families. The favored hypothesis that comes out of that is what it requires to learn to be a good hunter takes a long time to learn and takes a big brain. And so all of those things were consequences of being a successful hunter. You add to that Paleolithic archaeology. The strongest evidence that says it's all about hunting is the bones of big animals and stone tools. So the story gets to be that's what happened to make us different from the other great apes. You're talking about man the hunter. That's what I grew up hearing, and you probably did too, right? Men hunted to feed mates and offspring. This led to group cooperation and advanced tool use, extra protein to fuel bigger brains. Man the Hunter actually came out of a 1966 meeting of cultural anthropologists, but it didn't address one particular thing about us humans. If you make it to adulthood, then your chances of outliving your fertility are way better than even. It's a thing that really stands out about us. Are we it in terms of staying alive once your fertility comes to an end? Are we the only species that survives beyond menopause? We are the only primate. A whole array of things that I thought were just, that's the air we breathe. It is just part of the universe inexplicably. All right, so what we're getting into now is why menopausal women exist. Because, believe it or not, there is a point to why we're here. What are the chances that you're going to be dying each year as an adult? The chances of dying, if they're high, then you better mature early. Otherwise, you won't leave any descendants, right? And the thing that has made our 
average adult lifespans so long is our very low fertility and very few dying babies. The correlation was with grandmothers. That post-fertile part of the lifespan is subsidizing the fertility during the childbearing ages. Okay, this is already completely different from anything I've heard before. What was the starting point for you? The Ache. This is a, a group of Native Americans in eastern Paraguay. There were amazing things about this particular ethnographic opportunity. We could not only record what resource everybody was pursuing and handling, but whose stomach it ended up in. What astonished me was, wait a minute, wow, this is not paternal provisioning. Dr. Hawks and her team recorded the men went for a big bonanza game, the kind of stuff that impressed and that the whole tribe shared. And since that didn't happen too often, the women, the foragers, made up the difference. I was just blown away. And then Dr. Hawks went to East Africa, to the Serengeti, to study a different hunter-gatherer tribe, the Hadza. They are in a part of the world where they're hunting these really big animals. One of the things we were especially interested in was what's up with the big animals and how do they get distributed? Okay, well, what was up with the really big animals? I mean, how often are the Hadza men, the hunters, bringing home the bacon? The average success rate is 3.4%. 3.4%? It is statistically not going to happen that you hit. What's going on with the men is they're really paying attention to each other and what the other guy thinks of them. And this thing about the social position they're in relative to the other guys has huge consequences. What I find so interesting is that what you observed was the men were actually hunting to impress each other, even if that meant going big and failing. Male status hierarchies are really a big deal. One of the things that is really important to your position relative to the other guys is how good you are as a hunter. And so this thing that men tend to do, hunting relatively large animals, which means they're going to fail most of the time, but when they're successful, whoa, whoa, whoa. The audience that men are especially concerned about is the other men. And the question about how influential you are in the community, whether you can make a claim on a particular mate, all those things depend on whether the other guys will defer to you. Okay, I get that. But I mean, kids have got to eat. Everyone's got to eat. So who's feeding them the remaining 96.5% of the time? You have to have something that is more then occasional bonanzas. Selection cannot favor being in places where the little kids can't feed themselves. We were looking at everybody, both sexes, all ages. My notebooks were getting filled by following these old ladies. These women were well into their 60s. And this particular kind of foraging that is so energetically expensive is something they were spending more time doing than anyone else. And the rates they were getting were the same as the younger women. They were all getting 
high return rates from this heavy work of digging these deeply buried tubers. And we also began to see how these things went together because we had data on little kids and they can't do it. If it's berry picking, then those little hands, their rates are not so bad. But for certain kinds of savanna resources, little kids are just not big enough and strong enough to do it. And that then means they depend on their moms. And we could see that mom's foraging effort had effects until she had a new baby. And then that went away. And it was grandmother's work. This trade-off was right before our eyes. So the guys are off trying to impress each other with their hunting. The women are basically keeping everyone alive by digging tubers. And how successful they are at this directly impacts how big or healthy their baby is until they have another baby. Women could have that next baby way sooner without the other one dying because the other one is subsidized by the work of older females. They're still productive. And the result is more food without adding more stomachs. We get this cascade of consequences. Neurodevelopment was slowing and final brain size was getting larger as a consequence of that slowing. And yet weaning was earlier. So here are these infants being wired at this very early part of neurodevelopment to have this concern. Oh, oh, pay attention to me. What is she about to do? Is that somebody I should watch out for or somebody I want to attract? Or this is so different from what you see in our close cousins or animals in general, where this complete dependence on attention and support, if you don't get it, that's curtains. Developing the connections about what do I think she's about to do are actually survival skills. Trying to figure out how to be on the same page was a survival challenge and starts in infancy. Is something I may Put down your glass. This is it. This is why we are all going to find a way to once again talk with one another despite the best efforts of those money makers in the anger industrial complex. I just love this. So we have this evolutionary need to try to get on the same page with one another. Absolutely. Yes. Our grandmother hypothesis is not about, you know, a sweet little old lady's babysitting. This is an argument that has consequences for our social appetites. Shared intentionality is so important to us. That's the cover term for this particular social appetite. Are we doing this together? Do we have the same view of what's going on? This is shared intentionality. One thing you hear across the board is that everybody's so nervous right now, so nervous and so despairing and anxiety and depression are through the roof. And I am wondering if that anxiety that we're all feeling is because this idea of shared intentionality and trying to figure out how to work on something together has been so disrupted by so many forces. I think you are absolutely right. Those of us that think we're on the same page, we're listening to each other and thinking that's the world that we know. And then there are a bunch of other people 
whose version of what's going on is entirely different as one set of facts gets to be the thing that we all talk about and then other people have variations on that that they all talk about. That's the conversation that's going on. And those can get so far apart and each one feels that the other guys are a threat. And when you've got really loud voices, especially underlining the danger, it comes an existential crisis, right? Absolutely. The way we are wired by our evolutionary history, the issue is to find a way to be in the same conversation. All of a sudden that primal thing is, is triggered. Yes. Is there a way for us to get beyond it? I mean, considering this is so deeply ingrained in us, because we're not going to legislate our way through this. <laughs> As I try to examine why we're in such a pickle, I think that the positive is the more we understand it, the more potentially we can be more charitable toward each other. <laughs> That's such an interesting thought. I mean, for this moment as a whole, this idea that evolution has embedded an element that makes us want to be more charitable. If we talk about differences between the sexes, trying to understand how evolution has shaped these things means not saying we don't want to talk about things that we don't like. Figuring out how to talk across different sets of assumptions and different lines of sight, how to talk across these conversations, that's the challenge. I mean, good heavens, there are all kinds of absolutely terrible things that people do to each other. We also do amazing, wonderful, incredible things. When students ask, what is the point of trying to understand this stuff about our evolution? I hope I convey it makes us more charitable toward one another. And that's not a bad thing. To read more about the grandmothering hypothesis of evolution and to find out who made this episode, go to our website, www.thecocktailconversations.com. To get the recipe for the Dr. Hawk's cocktail created by Whitney McDonald at Visit Napa Valley, check out our website or our Instagram at The Cocktail Conversations and send us your versions. What more conversation? Join the club, the old pal club. That's where your tax-deductible contribution gets you private access to special interviews, extras, events, and and more. You can become an old pal via our website and Instagram.